I am going to preach a sermon now. Um, often the sermons are a little bit longer than they're going to be today, but I know we've got a lot of kids here, uh, and so shorten it up. I'm going to shoot for 20 minutes. Let me actually get my timer out just to, to be sure that I'm close. Um, but kids, you're used to this. We've, been, we've, we've done lessons in Crossroads uh, before, so as one of the kids mentioned, We've, we have tickets that we would use to, to kind of help motivate the kids to, to listen and pay attention well. And so maybe, kids, since you've done this, you can kind of keep an eye on your parents and make sure that they don't misbehave and that they listen today. Um, but this is a, I'll, I'll be looking at the book of Acts, chapter 8. As a church, we've been going through um, this this book in the Bible, if, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair in front of you. And if you use that one, it's on page 973. So you could look there and follow along. I'm going to start, though, with a story that I've told some of you before. But since it happened to me when I was in fifth grade, I thought it'd be a good story to share today. When I was in fifth grade, there was a boy in my class named Tom. And Tom was the cool guy. Kind of a bad boy sometimes, uh, kind of a tough guy, would get into trouble, uh, but just even the way Tom walked was cool. Tom would strut, you know, and with his hands in his pockets, but not the boring, normal front pockets. He put his hands in his back pockets uh, and his thumbs out, and so Tom would kind of walk through the halls like this. And I remember... One day, I wanted to be like Tom, and so I tried it. I put my hands in my back pockets, and I was strutting down the hall, and my teacher pulled me aside and said, Daniel, what are you doing? Um, this, this, Tom's not the kind of boy that you want to imitate. And, but what was I doing? I was, I was doing what most kids do. I'm trying to figure out where do I fit in. I want to be liked. I want to be cool. I want to be accepted. Uh, and that's not just a thing that kids do. It's a thing that adults do as well. Now, maybe not to that exact example, but adults also want to fit in, want to be accepted, want to be liked. There's something deep within all of us that we want to belong. And, and, and yet that same desire that we all have for ourselves, we don't often extend that to everyone else. Um, and this is the way humans have always existed. We have our small groups, our small circles, uh, and we keep those who are outside of that kind of at arm's distance. Uh, and we don't treat everyone with the kind of welcome and acceptance that we want for ourselves. And this is, this is why racism exists and discrimination and prejudice and bullying and all kinds of these, these different problems that happen as, as people have their own circles and they keep others out. No one wants to be an outsider or an outcast, but we do keep others sometimes uh, and treat them that way. And this is something that in the passage that we're going to look at in the Bible today in Acts, that Jesus is, is teaching and showing us that this is not the way things should be in his kingdom. This is not the way that things should be in God's family. Um, so let me back up just a little bit, because some of you haven't been here. What, what we do each week is We've just been going, working our way through this book in the Bible. And so we're in chapter 8 now, but there were seven chapters that came before that. 
And so Acts begins right after Jesus came into this world. Um, The Bible says that he died for our sins and that he rose on the third day. And then the book of Acts tells us that for 40 days, he's making appearances to people. He's, He's offering many convincing proofs that he really did rise again. And he's seen by hundreds of people and he's eating with them and they're seeing him, they're touching him. And so he's proving that he really did rise again. And then it says that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And that's, that's a word that, that maybe at first we don't understand what it means, but it's talking about how there is one true God who's the king of this universe, and he is making things right again, recognizing sin came into this world and broke it, but he's restoring. And so Jesus is here, and he's fulfilling a lot of these promises that earlier in the Bible it was talking about would come True. And so then then he says this to them, to his followers. This is before he ascends back up into heaven. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you will be my witnesses. So you're going to tell people about this good news. And he says, it's going to start in Jerusalem and then it's going to spread out to Judea and Samaria, which would have been this region outside of Jerusalem, kind of the north and the south. And then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And so that kind of provides an outline for the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem. And there's some intense stories at the beginning, these first seven chapters. As this good news about Jesus starts to spread, some people don't like it. And so the the disciples, the, the leaders of this new movement of Jesus followers, they're in and out of jail, in and out of prison. And it leads all the way up until one of them, this is the story we looked at last week, one of them named Stephen was preaching a message and they become so angry with him that they actually dragged him out and killed him for this message. And then it says that this might have seemed like this would stop or be a threat to this movement that was spreading of Jesus' followers but it doesn't. It says that they, they became scared and, and they fled. They, they scattered out. And then as they scattered out, this message began to spread as well. So that's what we're going to look at. Acts chapter 8. Let's start there. And you're going to see as we go along why this message specifically is for those viewed as outsiders and outcasts. Verse 1 of 8 says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. That's the story I was just telling about. And it says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land. And now look at this. It says, Judea and Samaria. And so now let's jump down to verse 3. It says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, put them in prison. So this This persecution that was coming actually scattered these new Christians. And as they were going, they started telling others about Jesus. Verse 4. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. And as they listened and saw the signs he was performing... Unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
And then a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city, and he had amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and the great miracles that were being performed. So there's this story here of as these people were scattered, one of them was Philip, and he's going and he's preaching about who Jesus is and this good news that Jesus came and died and rose again and that he is now establishing this new family of God. And as he's preaching that, many of the Samaritans were following Jesus. Now, that might not stand out to you um, unless you know a little bit of the background between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Bible tells us that these groups didn't get along. This is what I was talking about with outsiders and outcasts. This, this actually, if, if you read back in the book of John, chapter 4, uh, you might know the story of the Samaritan woman. And Jesus was talking to her. And it says both she and the other followers of Jesus, as, as they saw Jesus talking to her, they were shocked that he was even speaking to her. And, and John says it's because the Jews normally don't associate with the Samaritans. So there's some kind of a, a conflict here where they didn't even like to speak to each other. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how things should be. Uh, and so as the gospel's going out into, and they're, they're believing and they're, they're turning to God, this is, this is a little bit of a surprise. But this, this animosity, this fight between them goes back about a thousand years because there was this civil war type of a divide between the north and the south of Israel. And the north set up their capital city as Samaria. And they, they started worshiping other gods. They turned against the Jewish God. They turned against the true God. And they started worshiping idols and, and other gods. And they, as they were bringing those in, they, they set up their own temple. And then there was also a time later when the Babylonians, the Assyrians came in and conquered, that they started intermarrying with them. And so you've got all these reasons that this, this wrong kind of conflict existed. The Jews looked at them as they're too bad. They're too morally corrupt. They've turned against God. They've looked at them as kind of being half Jewish. And so there's these moral and ethnic and political and religious, all these reasons where they viewed the Samaritans as outsiders. And, and Jesus is telling his followers that's not the way things should be. God is welcoming in all into his family, even Simon. That's an interesting story. Simon's called this sorcerer or magician. Uh, and it's possible that he, maybe it was like a magician today where it's illusion and trickery. But the word actually is, is saying maybe that, that this was actually some demonic powers that he had uh, where he was able to do miraculous things. Um, but either way, whatever it was, when, when Simon saw the power of the true God, it says that he 
believed. He recognized this was, this was something greater than what he was able to do. And he believed in Jesus and was baptized. And so baptism, we had one actually in our first service this morning. It's this public way of, of identifying or pledging our allegiance to Jesus and saying, yes, I am a follower. He's washed away my sins. And so th there was this wide movement spreading through Samaria where outsiders are being welcomed in. Okay, the next few verses, I'm not going to read them all, but let me just summarize it because Simon messes up here. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is coming and he's, he's seeing some of this power that, that is coming as well. And he says, oh, can I buy that? Can I buy the, the, the powers that you have of God? Can I give you some money so that I can have that ability too? And Peter, who's one of the leaders in the church, one of the apostles, strongly rebukes him and says, you cannot, you cannot think that you can buy this um, and so there's, there's a warning here. Some Christians look at this and wonder, did Simon really believe in Jesus? Or is this showing that, that maybe it was a false kind of belief? Or is, is he, yes, truly trusting in Jesus, but he's just making a mistake here, sinning uh, in this way? And Luke doesn't really tell us. But what Luke does want to give us is this warning for us to know God is not something that we can buy God is not something that we can earn. God's not someone that we can control. Um, but this is a God who is to be worshipped. And these, these miracles or these powers that he was seeing were not to be used for our own profit or for, for his own uh, fame, but they're used to point to the true God. And so what we're seeing then at the end of this story, verse 25, is that after they've testified, spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem and then they preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So we're seeing this big crowd of people, crowd of Samaritans who once were viewed as outsiders being welcomed in to God's family. And now there's another story about a different kind of outsider, a different kind of outcast. In verse 26, let me read some of this. It says, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He, came up, he had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting on his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the Spirit told Philip, Go and join that chariot. And so Philip ran up to it, and he heard the Ethiopian reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. Now, the scripture passage he was reading was this, and this comes from Isaiah 53. That's an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. It says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch says to Philip, I asked you, Who's the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? 
And so Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he went on his way rejoicing. Then Philip appeared in Azotus, and as he was traveling and preaching the gospel, all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Okay, so this story at first is a little bit of a strange story. First, we've got Philip who's preaching to these crowds, and there's all these people believing in Jesus. But God says to him, oh, I want you to go way down south and go talk to this one guy. Uh, and, and Luke, is, as he tells this story, he's making it clear to us that as God is beginning to, as this movement of Jesus followers is spreading, God wants to make it clear to all Christians that there is no one outside of God's reach. There's no one who's too far on the outside. This Ethiopian man, uh, probably not the same area that we think of today as Ethiopia, but it was uh, it was in Africa, south of Egypt. So this was an African man. But it does say that he's connected to the Jewish faith. He was just up in Jerusalem, uh, worshiping there. And he's on his way back home. And he has the prophet of Isaiah. And he's open to one of the clearest places in the Old Testament that's pointing to what Jesus was going to do. And so Philip gets there. And the guy says, hey, I don't know what, what this means and so Philip begins to explain that passage. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the Messiah, the promised one. And guess what? He just came. Uh, he just came and died for his people and rose again. And he's now telling us this good news of hope that he's, he's beginning to establish his kingdom. And there is great joy. So you can imagine Philip is so excited to tell this good news to this Ethiopian eunuch. The way just one other thing to think about, though. This man was treated and viewed as an outcast. Um, Luke makes sure to say five different times as he refers to him that this man is a eunuch. And because of this abusive thing that was done to him, usually this was done to someone who was serving in a queen's court to, to protect her or something like that. Um, and, and this kind, this, though he was a high official, it came to him at a great cost, a great personal cost, and he was shunned from much of society. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 23, it says that they cannot come into the assembly, and so that whole society would have held them at arm's distance. And so, but this man is hearing this news of Jesus, and I just want to read you one other passage, because he's reading in Isaiah 53, just a little bit later, if he, if he kept reading, and I'm guessing he knew this story, let me just read it for you, where there's this prophecy that in God's family, no one's excluded. So here's what it says in Isaiah 56. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And then he says, the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree, for the Lord says this. The eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls 
a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. So right here, close to this passage that he's already reading about Jesus, there's this promise that no one, no one is going to be excluded, including him. God's on this mission to extend this good news. And as he does it, he wants to make it really clear that everyone, everyone can be included. There's no one who's outside of God's reach. There's no one who is too morally corrupt that can't be forgiven. Okay, so how do we apply this to us today? Christians who are here today, you say, I'm following Jesus Christ. Who, who are people in your life that you're still holding at arm's distance? Because of your prejudices? Maybe because you just think, oh, that person's too bad too morally corrupt, God can't save them or won't save them, or maybe even worse, you don't want him to? Who, who are some people in your life like that? Maybe it's someone in your family who's, who's addicted to substance abuse and you see the effects that it has. Or some family member who's identifying in LGBTQ community. Or maybe it's your racist neighbor or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's someone that you know who's in and out of prison, living on the streets, can't keep a job. Someone with special needs physically or, or mentally, emotionally. Maybe just, maybe just someone different from you, doesn't look like you, doesn't vote like you. But God, God is telling us those kinds of things should not be keeping us from extending God's love and his good news to this world. That there is, there is no one outside of God's reach. And then, and then maybe, though, you sit here and you're saying, I'm not a Christian. And as I hear this, there's, there's no way that God could love me. You don't know what I've done. No one maybe knows what you've done. But this, this passage is here telling us, no, there, there is no one. There's no one who's too morally corrupt Who's, who's run from God from, for too long that cannot still receive this good news of hope. Maybe, maybe you're like this Ethiopian, though, and you say, I, I'm hearing some of this, but I just don't, I don't understand. This is new, and that's totally okay. And we would love to be able to talk to you about this. I'll be down here in the front after the service. You could come talk to me. I could answer questions or set up a time to talk to you later, uh, answer questions that you might have, or, or connect you with someone else who could. We, we want you to know there is no one outside of God's reach. There's no one that has, has run from him for too long that cannot receive his forgiveness and hope and find joy in him. And and. The fact that you're here today isn't an accident. Just, just like in this story, God uses the way that people are scattered around and he connects Philip to this Ethiopian. And this, this could be one of the moments in your story where you, you were hearing some things that be, began to cause questions in your mind. We'd love to talk to you more about that. There's no one, no one in God's family who's too far outside, too much of an outcast, that cannot turn to him and find forgiveness. Let's pray.